The following podcast contains spoilers and words such as done and bother. Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, everybody, and welcome to We Watched a Thing. I'm Billy. I'm here, as always, with Topher. And how you doing, bud? No complaints here, sir. How about yourself? Mate, I'm, I'm pretty good. What have you been up to lately? You know there's not an interesting answer to that question. <laughs> well, that's not true. Sport is back, isn't it? You've been watching that. Yeah, and I wish it wasn't back. <laughs> My life was fine without one-point losses. <laughs> I want to go back to the good old days when there was no sport. Yeah, I haven't been up to much either. Just, you know, watching movies, watching telly. Uh, cinema's open here again soon. I'm thinking about heading to the drive-in this weekend, mate. Yeah. Do you know what they're showing or are you just like, you don't care? No, I, I mean, I don't care, but I know what they're like, showing. You'll go watch Cats. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. Friday is Snatch, but then Saturday is Blade Runner 2049, which as you know, I've been needing to get to anyway. So I watched that just last weekend again. Well- Jeez, it's good. Well, why not go see it on a big screen from the comfort of your car, mate? Well, because actually my couch is significantly comfier <laughs> than my car. So I really don't know why I would do that. <laughs> For the fun of it, mate, for the thrill, you can you can make out with your girl in the back seat and wear your, your cool leather jacket. Yeah, I think it's going to be different than what you think it's going to be. We'll see. I'll, I'll catch you up next week. I'll let you know how okay. it was. <laughs> okay. But we're not talking about Blade Runner 2049 this week. What are we talking about, mate? New Spike Lee joint. That's right. Da Five Bloods. Defy Bloods is a 2020 American war drama film directed and produced by Spike Lee. Along with him, the film was produced by John Kalik, Beatrice Levin, and Lloyd Levin, and was written by... Why is the written by not up there? And was written by Danny Bilson, Paul DeMeo, Spike Lee, and Kevin Wilmot. It stars Delroy Lindo, Jonathan Majors, Clark Peters, Norm Lewis, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Melanie Thierry, Paul Walter Hauser, Jasper Parkinen, John Reno and Chadwick Boseman. And what is it about, Toph? Four friends, uh, all of them Vietnam vets, reunite to track down the remains of their fallen leader and also some gold. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, let's get straight into it then. So I tried to, obviously we were not going to a cinema to watch this film. You can't do that. Also, this film is on Netflix. Yes. So you don't go to the cinema to watch it. <laughs> just go, go into the movies would just be the wrong move. Well, but, that's right. <laughs> but, you know, it, like it's a, it's, it's a new Spike Lee film. It's still a bit of an event, I think. Yes. So I tried to, like, as best I could, even though we were putting it on at, like, we watched this at a weird time. I think we put it on at, like, 10 a.m. So I was like, all right, close the blinds. I put my phone into flight mode. Yep. So that I could still make the odd note for this if I wanted. But I was like, I don't want no bastard texting me. I don't care. I don't want to know. There's a Spike Lee film to watch. <laughs> Tried to get in that headspace because as much as I'm still like, thank God Netflix did make this film because Spike Lee had tried to get it made everywhere else before he went to Netflix. So, hooray, thanks Netflix. I mean, there's still no getting around the fact that watching a movie at home is different to watching it at the movies. And it just feels less special, I would say, because it is, in fact. It is, yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, is it still possible to thoroughly enjoy a new film at home on Netflix? Of course it is. And enjoying a film on Netflix is indeed what happened two days ago when I watched The Five Bloods. <laughs> so, okay, that was a very, very long-winded way of what I think you're saying is that you liked it but did not love it. 
and seen. Okay. All right. Um, I, I did a similar thing. You know that I've got the home theater here, the big, the hundred hundo inch screen. And we, we did date night. We, you know, we got some takeaway and we sat on the comfy chairs and we fired it up on the big screen and same thing, no phones or anything. Definitely the best way to see it, I think. Um, I loved this movie. I don't think it's as strong as Black Klansman, but I think it's a pretty, pretty great uh, follow-up. And I think Spike Lee is getting more and more ambitious. There's a lot in here to unpack. It's saying a lot of things and it's doing a lot of things. And I I know that there are some complaints around the runtime. Some people saying it could be shorter. Now, you know me. I'm old, I'm old 90-minute max, Billy. I actually didn't have a problem with the runtime. I think that this is how you make a film that is long and is still entertaining, I think. I think this was a really gripping, entertaining watch. So, shall we kick it off with the cast? Sure. So, Chadwick Boseman is really being- I'm guessing it's just because he's the big name, you know, he is the Black Panther. Um, He was really all over the marketing for this as, like, starring Chadwick Boseman. Totally not the case. (laughs) No, um, <laughs> watching this, well, uh, just, yeah, since we're on Bozeman, um, when I'm knocking on the door of my mid-40s, I'm not going to look like Chadwick Bozeman. Wait, are you, you, what? Yeah, Chadwick Bozeman was born in 77. Oh my God, I'm not even in my mid-30s and he looks a million times better than me. <laughs> um, yeah, that guy just depresses me. <laughs> uh, but I love him. I love Boseman. Yeah, me too. And I, I think he was great in that supporting role. But yes, certainly this is not this is not a Chadwick Boseman vehicle. If you've been led to believe that, you're done been tricked. Yeah, this is really, at the heart of this is Delroy Lindo's performance as Paul, who I would be very happy, and I, I say at this point, because who knows what's going to happen with the rest of the year, I'd be really, really happy to see him get a nomination for acting in this film, because I thought his performance as this- troubled Vietnam War vet was really, really engaging. As of mid-June, that's a pretty big- As of, as um, of mid-year- it's a pretty big, pretty yeah. big asterisk next to that. Yes. But it, as of mid-June, it's hard to see Delroy Lindo not getting yes. nominations for this film. Uh, the only question is, is he supporting or lead? Because he's probably the most central character the film has, but it's also an ensemble piece. Yeah, I would argue that. I I think that the film does shift um, quite dramatically at points, but I would say that at the the whole, he is definitely at the heart of the story. He really is the central character of the film, I think. Yeah, so, like, I agree, but also the film does end without him and, like, you know, spoilers, the guy dies and it's not like, all right, that's the end of the film. Like, the story just carries on. Yeah, yeah. And, like, there's a, there's an argument here, like, we've talked about this before, that um, it, it aggravates both of us when most acting equals best acting. And certainly Delroy Lindo is doing the most in this film, but not in a- it never feels out of place for the character. Um, I think he just- he absolutely slays this role. He's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. There are also many times in the film where what he's doing is actually very quiet, really. Like, yes- there are those those big emotional 
scenes that that he generally gets in the film. There are the big breakdown scenes. Like the scene where he's on the boat and the guy is trying to sell him a chicken was absolutely- Yeah. So, there's things like, like that where it starts quiet and builds up. Yes. And that's what I think he does really well is the balance here. He's not- He's not Nicolas Cage going from whispering to shouting, but he's also not just shouting the whole time. He, I do think everything is really meticulously crafted in his performance, and it's really, really nice. He's awesome. And, like, I haven't seen Lindo in a film, I don't know how long it's been, that Delroy Lindo's just been off my radar. And um, it was a pleasure having him back, and I'm not sure I've ever seen him better. Not that, not that I've seen everything that Delroy Lindo's ever done. By any stretch. Um, and then, like, fans of The Wire, happy days for us. We get Clark Peters as Otis, who I think is in this film, as he is in everything ever, just sensational. Um, and Isaiah Whitlock Jr. as Melvin, who obviously he can't appear without letting out a shit. <laughs> yeah. And... I always broke into applause because I love it. Yeah. I don't care if it's like, you know, some part of my brain's like... Dude, not everyone in the world does that. So why does everyone you play do that? Yeah. And then a larger part of my brain goes, "Who gives a?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought the performances of all four of the remaining Bloods were so. The chemistry they have together really works, I think. You buy them as friends straight away, don't you? You do, instantly. And the film takes its time with that. That's why I don't mind the runtime. I think. Spike Lee really has, to me, there are scenes of this that feel quite Tarantino-esque. You know, you think about the the scene they're first all together where they're just in Vietnam catching up and it's just quite dialogue heavy for quite a while there. You really do. You buy instantly the friendship. You get that they haven't seen each other in a while, but it doesn't matter, which with those long-lasting friendships is exactly how it works. Yeah, even like um, Clark Peters react, like Otis, his reaction to um, to Delroy Lindo's character Paul saying that he telling them that yeah he's you know he's all for the wall and he voted for Trump. It's <laughs> yeah. not even like it's not even like outrage and despair from Otis. He's just like oh yeah that'd be right. Yes, yeah. this is like that's that's. That's that friend, and then that that many many of us have them. That great cutaway to that great cutaway to the Trump rally. Yes, <laughs> the man. The use of the MAGA hat as a motif in the film is really really a nice touch. I think. I think Spike Lee. We all know that he's a very angry man and with a lot of right. Like I, you know. You look at his filmography and the things he's tried to say throughout the years and the things that are still happening in the country he lives in, you totally get why he's angry. And I think this is a really nice- The way that the film flows, I think it it gets that anger out in a really nice way, I think. And it's it's not in your face- Like, it doesn't feel like a punch to the face the entire film like the end of Black Klansman did. I feel like this is is more subdued, but it's more constant in a lot of ways. And I think the story it's telling is touching on so many things. I, I think he's really nailed the tone. I think here, I, I don't, I don't feel like there's tonal shifts or anything too badly in this film. Which is funny. That's one of the things I read in reviews that people feel like they don't think it's kind of melded. To me, I really think it did. How did you feel about that? No, so I definitely, I definitely feel that. Um, and a lot of the time. It doesn't bother me at all. Like it's a Spike Lee film. It's yeah. not surprising that it that it does change gears yeah. um, regularly. And 
mo- I would say that the clear majority of those times, it either doesn't bother me or I, in fact, enjoy it. But it happens enough that there's a few where I'm like, eh, yeah, okay, um, yeah. You know, you mentioned the the runtime earlier and, of course, the amount of characters that this film is trying to service. And broadly, um, absolutely succeeds at that, I think. Um, I couldn't say I think it does 100% of the time. Like, for instance, one of the Bloods, Eddie, when he, again, we've good thing we got the spoiler alert on this show, when Eddie gets killed, you know, I, I, f- I feel bad for Eddie, but it wasn't like... A devastating moment when Eddie, again, when Eddie was talking about um, his bankruptcy and the fact that it's all for show, I was like, yeah, you know what? In a in a two hour, 35 minute film, nah, I don't need this. Yeah. I think though, again, I really appreciate the way that played out because I think Spike Lee was quite aware of that. I don't think he's expecting you to be invested in that character to the same extent. And really when he does meet his end- that really, to me, is a build-up to what happens after that with David, Jonathan Major's character, um, Paul's son, who we haven't even spoken about yet. But the chemistry between him and Delroy was also just really nice. But to me, that that was kind of just building towards that moment, I think. Mm. And I, it doesn't give you a lot of time to breathe and, and mourn Eddie because I, I, think, I think everybody knows that you're not going to. You're not that invested, really. But, geez, that moment was a shock. Were you, were you taken back by that? Not at all. I was like, one of these steps is on a landmine. <laughs> like, you know, you, I know I know, you know the line about you don't introduce a gun in the first act if you're not going to use yes. it in the third. Yeah. Like, earlier on in the film when- When you meet the French woman. When, yeah, when we meet the people who are clearing landmines. Yes. It's like, well, that's, you know, Spike Lee is not just putting this in for no reason. Yeah. Spike Lee is um, quite a competent- filmmaker so yes. at some point in time someone's gonna get landmined and when that guy was walking backwards i was like oh yep here it is i still just found the moment quite shocking the way that it just it did happen very quickly without time to breathe as as it would in life and then the next minute you know they're they're so distressed even they don't have time to mourn eddie because all of a sudden they need to do what they can to save david yeah and the sequence with david is fantastic oh my god is it ever would that actually work, do you think? Do you feel like, let's say I'm stuck on a landmine. You're dead. <laughs> you've, you've got a rope, though, and you've got, you've got four other dudes. One of them is, is Paul Walter Housie. He's quite a big dude. Do you reckon you could pull me fast enough? I do not. <laughs> um, sorry, mate. That, that, there's no way that would actually work, right? Okay, here's my thing, and- um, any landmine experts, just <laughs> feel free to tell me why I'm wrong. Could they not have found a rock or indeed one of the gold bars? And like at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, just Indiana Jones, that thing onto the landmine and David steps away. That's exactly now, what I thought was going to happen. Yes. I've had very little to do with landmines in my life. I freely admit I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to landmines, but I was like- why aren't we trying this? I was the same because I was like, is it just a button? Because could you even, like, could you, for example, hold it down with something like a stick, like poke it down with a stick and then walk away from it and release mm. the stick? You know, I, I have no idea. I think, our, I think our thing is maybe from a Seth Rogen film, not a Spike Lee film. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably fair. <laughs> um, interested to find out that this, um, that this is not an original Spike Lee script. 
because when you're watching it, like you're just very aware that you're watching a Spike Lee film. Yes. But originally, but yes, the script made its way to him and he, there, there were then extensive rewrites. Like originally the characters weren't even black. Yes. So it would be really interesting to know how, how far this deviates from the original. As you say, given that the characters weren't even black, I think that has to tell you how much it deviates because that has a lot to do with it. And this is his third collaboration with Kevin Wilmot as a co-writer. And yeah, I think they are on such a hot streak. How did you feel? This is, this is another big talking point about the film, um, the flashback sequences. Yeah, I had no problem. I was totally on board with it. I know some people, for example, have issues with the fact that it was the same cast. Um. I personally loved that. I think it's a smart choice. Like, obviously, I get it. Realistically, yeah, okay, sure, they were 50 years younger. We get that. That's fine. Can you imagine the issues you would have had trying to follow which character was who if they were a different cast? Uh, From what I've heard, that was the biggest reason for it. Spike Lee was like, look, I don't have the budget that the Irishman has, so I can't de-age these guys. Yeah. And he hates hates it when films- recast younger people. So it seems like it maybe it wasn't even an intentional, I'm just going to do this because, yeah. fuck it, I'm Spike Lee and I'm just going to do it. It was just like, <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm almost out of options, so stuff it. You guys just do it. Yeah, can you imagine the legit- Like, think of the exposition you would need to reintroduce all of these characters so that you could remember who was who. That's right. And then do you actually have everyone's- like? There's no way you would have had everyone's name down, Pat. Absolutely so. not. No. And then, honestly, to me, even from a kind of metaphorical level, I didn't mind it so much because to me, it's like these are literally flashbacks. It's it's not even it's not even necessarily for the sake of film, although obviously it is. It's these people having flashbacks, and in my head, it's like it's like when you look in the mirror and you're like, "Who is that person?" Like, you know what I mean? When you have a flashback, you probably are just seeing yourself as you are now. or You're just kind of- you're almost timeless in a flashback. So, I really had no problem with it at all. So, here's how it works for me. And I don't know if this was the intent or if I'm just finding a way to like it more. I'm not entirely certain, but here's how it works for me and I did enjoy it. Is that it works for me provided it's a memory, not a flashback. Yeah, well, and that's that's I guess I, that's the word I was using effectively. Yes, it's it's these people having their their memories of it. Yes, in that way, I'm completely fine with it. Same, because when you have a memory, you are kind of timeless. You don't you, often it's from first person, so you're not picturing yourself anyway. And if you were to, you probably would just see yourself how you are now, because that's what you see when you look in the mirror. Like you don't necessarily have a brilliant memory of yourself 50 years ago. <laughs> I was also totally on board with the the shift of kind of there's the obvious shift in the aspect ratio. Yes. When we go backwards, but there's also a shift in the look of the film where it leans into that much more kind of that 70s look of yes. the kind of the gold and black hue of of a lot of film at the time, which I totally dug. I thought it was really effective. Yeah, definitely. And on the production, I really loved the way that they played with the aspect. There were the times obviously where there was the hard cut. But there were a few where there was a transition and the way that the aspect transitioned itself was really nice as well. You could actually see that slowly bring itself in. Um, I thought that was a really nice touch. I kept thinking, all right, we're probably done with the Francis Ford Coppola references. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. Here's another one. 
I mean, how great was it though when Rise of the Valkyries played when the riverboat is is going like that was awesome. That's just a genuinely funny moment just to repurpose this song that for so many of us, yes, that music, the Rise of the Valkyries is just we just associate it with Apocalypse Now. Yes. Like if that's what you grew up with, that's what that music is for you. And to repurpose it for a bunch of old guys plodding along <laughs> yep. a river instead of a helicopter attack is just priceless. I thought it was hilarious. Same. I thought it was brilliant. And even like from that really, from that first time we see the Apocalypse Now sign, like the, just the, the blatant, here's an Apocalypse Now poster. Yeah. To then have the camera track back from that and there's a Budweiser sign in front of it. Yeah. So just this like overt commercialization of a film that, you know, is such a internal trip, if you like. Yeah. Uh, again, just hilarious. Um, you, you know, you've got a guy that's referenced as Godfather. Yeah. In the film, you've got a point in the film where you go on a bit of a a mini tangent with a French woman. It's just like it's almost <laughs> never ending. Just the, the, I love it. I love it. On the Rise of the Valkyries moment, I actually quite liked a lot of the music cues in the film. That's another thing that I've seen people take issue with is the score. I I really liked that it was quite diverse. You know, you've got that kind of in the flashback scenes, you had that really kind of over the top, you know, triumph of war music. You know, I I really liked the way that it all played out. Props to there's like some there's some pretty big action set pieces in the film, of course. The final shootout of the film, I give total props to because it does something that a lot of action sequences and particularly gunfights don't do, which is that it is completely coherent. Yes. You always know whenever you cut to a character, you know where they are in relation to everything else. Even though you haven't had like, you know, they didn't have that scene where you draw out in the dirt where everyone's going to be and, what's ev- and what everyone will do. Yeah. But even without that, it's just a really clear scene that cuts together beautifully, I think. And I was like, this is great. I'm watching a bunch of senior citizens do a shootout, which is better than most things that cut every 18 frames yeah. that normally gets thrown at the screen in an action film. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually think that the editing throughout, I would love to see this. I mean, again, you know, asterisk here, it's only June and most movies have been pushed back. <laughs> I would like to see this get an editing nomination just because I think it was really, really well put together. I don't think that the editing is as tight as Black Klansman, but I do think it works really well. I think even the choices they make of when to cut back to the flashbacks and and how that plays out. And I do think the editing is really meticulous. So, I mean, we're both positive on the, f- on the film. Probably maybe you a little bit more than me. Where are you finishing up here, Billy? Yeah, I'm a nine. I really, really, really loved this film. It's taken over my top of 2020 at the moment. Uh, looking back, I was shocked when I looked back that I only gave Black Klansman a nine because I definitely do think that that's a 10 out of 10 film. But this is a nine for me. I just think it's so strong. I think what it has to say and how it says it is really, really powerful. The stuff about the pointlessness of war, which is really just kind of peppered throughout. Like it's none of it. It has so much to say that none of it is really in your face all the time, which is what I was trying to say before, where I, I don't think it's just 
Yeah, I, ju- I just think it, it really takes its time thinking about the points it wants to get across, which I really appreciate. Like you, in, in very recently, um, I think Black Klansman, I enjoy more. But, like, I, I mean, I dug this film. Like, while I, like, I don't think it's really in the conversation for making it onto Spike Lee's Mount Rushmore, but as a significantly better version of Triple Frontier. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally here for it. The thing, like, the thing that pulls it back for me, as we kind of spoke about, is all the things that the film is trying to do, At for me, at times, they kind of tread on each other's toes. Like, you know, between a heist movie and the the commentary that Lee injects into so many films, the, you know, it's dealing with grief. It, it dips its toe into being a romance. There's a getting the gang back together. There's father and son. There's I don't care that Eddie's broke. Um, so, yeah, some of that just gets in the way of each other for me. Um, but, like, I, I, yeah, I was, I really dug this film. I'm a seven out of ten. Nice. All right, what are we getting to next week, buddy? Uh, oh, my goodness, we had another new release. I know. How crazy is that? <laughs> yes, Judd Apatow, new film. King of Staten Island. That's right. Directed by Apatow and written by Apatow and Pete Davidson about who the film is about. Well, that'll be that'll be fun. That's next week. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show and make us watch something or get early access to episodes or some junk like that, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing. And we'll catch you next week. Watch a movie, folks. One might even say we beat ourselves. Yeah. Not like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh.